We met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. And I think we all know uh, to pray for one another, given all of the experiences that we've had this week. I know Don and Dolly had a problem when the house next door to them caught on fire, had an explosion in the attic and burned to the ground while they were on their knees praying that their house wouldn't catch on fire. So they had a little problem. Plus, I'm sure water and power, et cetera. And Ken lost his uh, water. And, uh, of course, uh, Bruce had several problems, not the least of which they have some butane that people share out there. And people don't share equally when they're cold. And, of course, Tom and I were without power for three days and then three and a half days. And uh, fortunately, we didn't have any water problem. But it's uh, it's been a trial. And I know uh, when I called to check on John and Deborah, uh, and I think Deborah said, I don't have any milk or <laughs> bread. And uh, then uh, she called back a little later and said, uh, disregard that, I found some hot dog buns. <laughs> and, and freezer, we're throwing them out, and we're going to have bread, you know. So uh, we've all experienced the strange problems, and hadn't heard from Kim and Judy yet. But uh, we had power and water. We were blessed. Yes, you were. We were all right. Well, that's what happens when you're living right, correct? <laughs> well, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible situation. Uh, and of course, the last time it got that bad was 1888. The judge was telling me he read about it, and Galveston Bay froze over, uh, and uh, they lost many, many head of cattle because the cows kept trying to go s- uh, south. They have a sixth sense. I know. I guess uh, roughly 30 years ago or so, my cows up there in Waco kept going in that direction. And they would go to the fence and try to push the fence down to uh, to go, uh, I guess it was south. But they have a sixth sense, so to speak. So we've all suffered a little bit, so it's time to go to the Lord in prayer and thank Him that we're here today and able to uh, have church. And uh, we do have a prayer list over here to my left. You're free to get one and pray for one another. And I often think in situations like this, uh just how much uh, good our prayers have done as we call out the name of all of our members and uh Wayne and Carolyn by the way are traveling they're going to Fort Worth of all places to Dace's birthday but uh that's the youngest boy so uh keep that in mind for traveling uh and i guess that's about it for now as far as uh a report, might say walking wounded report, but we're, we're here today and we're ready to worship. So, uh, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to have silent prayer again. And don't forget our country, which in, is in a world of hurt. Uh, but uh, God is in charge. Uh, and as Joshua's going to sing for us today, uh, he's got everything under control. So uh, we have to keep that in mind as we worship. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, we do always have a good news and a bad news story. You know to every story. and the, the bad news was we ran out of food in our house. Of course, we had plenty of frozen food, but being an all-electric house, we had no microwave and we didn't have any oven. And uh, so uh, uh, Tommy ate a can of sardines from time to time. And I uh, ate a Ritz cracker with fermented cheese for breakfast. And then I'd have American cheese and Ritz crackers for lunch. And uh, then I'd usually, you know, I had to have a balanced diet. So I'd get one of these little things out of the refrigerator, you know, that uh, Dole makes them and Signature makes them at Randall. And I'd eat the fruits, you know. And I don't like the pears, Joshua, so I would just eat the the uh, peaches and the cherries, but uh, and be thankful for what we had. So anyway, that's uh, interesting. The good news, the bad news. The good news was I lost four pounds. The bad news, I graded, <laughs> I gained it all back the next day <laughs> when we got power. But uh, uh, we've all got uh, our own little stories, I'm sure. Uh, I think I. Did I tell the story about 1888 when we had the Galveston Bay freeze over? According to the judge, the judge ran up, uh, read up on it, and uh, that, that's mighty cold. That was how cold. The first time it had ever been that cold was 1888. So uh, we're just grateful that uh, we're here today and we can worship. All right, now let's go to another aspect of worship called giving. I put the chart on the board that you have seen time and time again, but it summarizes New Testament giving. And that's what we should be doing, New Testament giving. And it says there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, a really good summary of New Testament giving in these two verses, uh, 8, 12 in 2 Corinthians and 9, 7 in 2 Corinthians, summarize our attitudes, and what they should be about giving. So we have in uh, chapter 8, verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to the to what he does not have. And I interpret that to mean that in the privacy of your mind and a moment of silent prayer, you can think about giving, and you gave if you want to give. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purpose in his heart... So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I believe that tells us that if you want to give and you have something to give, you should give it, but only if you can be a cheerful giver. So with that said, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to thank the Lord for your gift and the giver. And then Tommy will play for us as we do that. Let us pray.
Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon the gift and the giver, and that you would continue to bless us as we're going to have music, and then we're going to have the teaching of the Word in Paul the Apostle, Part 3. So, Joshua, if you would, please, sir. That ought to cheer your heart. That God's got everything under control. Thank you, Joshua. That was mighty fine. Mighty fine. Okay. Now let's uh, talk a little bit about where we've been. 
We're on part three of the the doctrine of Paul the Apostle. We've done part one, we've done part two, and so now we're going to go to part three. Uh, I want to review some of that learned and then begin new material at point four on page two. But before we do, as is our custom, let's remember the application of 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to cite our sins back to us silently and thus be filled with the Spirit, and become teachable. So help us today to to follow the protocol and uh, see what we can learn about the Apostle Paul. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, again, I put the Acts timeline on just for reference purposes. Uh We had it, I think, on both part one and part two, but it's an excellent timeline of not only the travels of Paul, etc., and others, but it uh, sets forth who was the Caesar at the time that this event occurred or that event occurred. So it's a very handy uh, chart. Now let's go and see what we can learn with a review, and we will begin new material on page two. Alright, first of all, by way of review, the post-conversion experiences. Uh, an outline of the period would include at least the following points as we have seen. His preaching in Damascus, his journey into Arabia, his return to Damascus, and then the flight to Jerusalem. The first meeting with Peter and James in Jerusalem. And then his return to Syria and Cilicia, uh, and of course the city of Tarsus, which was his birthplace. So one is impressed with the energy of Paul as a certainty, because he was indeed zealous, and the Greek says literally, bubbling or boiling, and uh, that was in whatever he undertook. That was a characteristic of the man. So what we do know of Paul would certainly indicate there were no years of inactivity. In fact, he began immediately to preach Jesus as the Son of God. And we know he's called Saul for some time and later takes the name of Paul. But then we had uh, some information about Barnabas. Barnabas was sent to see what was happening in Galatia. That was James who sent him. And uh, he was very instrumental in enlarging the number of converts there in uh, Antioch. Uh, uh, Antioch was the first place that Christians were called Christians. They were called Little Christ. And uh, thus, uh, he arrived there and he began to teach. And he found that he was... Uh, unable to handle the growth that occurred. Uh, so we noted that and, and uh, noted also that he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, later to be known as Paul. 
And we saw that in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. So the two together worked in Antioch for approximately a year. He arrived at Tarsus and found out that Paul was teaching people and teaching people, and that was in the province of Cilicia, and that was his hometown. And he was uh, doing the work of the Lord there. And when asked to come and help in Antioch, Syria, he said, well, of course. And so he went with Barnabas back to Antioch. Now, this was a crucial point, certainly in the life of Paul, for it may well have been here that his vision of taking the gospel to the Gentile world was crystallized. Now, we don't know that as a certainty. That's an assumption on my point uh, from what we have. But uh, when we last met, whenever that was, I actually had just begun to teach uh, the missionary journeys. So it was while Paul and Barnabas were active in Antioch, Syria, that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And that was at a time now when the Holy Spirit spoke directly to people uh, as opposed to today. But uh, uh, he made his message known. He said, quote, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, which was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, we will see that they would first go to the Jew, and it said it was paramount that they do that. But uh, then they noticed the Jew would reject them in the various cities that they would go to, and uh, they would actually say things like, well, since you've uh, turned your back on me and you don't believe what I'm telling you, we'll go to the Gentiles. And off they would go to the Gentiles. But remember, the plan was for Peter to go to the Jews and Paul to go to the Gentiles. That was God's program, God's plan. So thus were launched the missionary travels of the Apostle Paul and on the first missionary journey, of course, with Barnabas. Now, the missionary journeys covered a a period of about 10 years. I'm going to say roughly 47 to 56 A.D. Uh, Again, that's uh, circa. Paul's work was chiefly in four provinces of the Roman Empire. The province of Galatia. There was a northern Galatia and a southern Galatia, and most of his work was done in the southern Galatia. And we studied all that when we studied the book of Galatians. And... uh, He also, uh, well, let me list them all here. Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. And we'll show you a map of those places as we proceed throughout this particular lesson. So in each of these provinces, he concentrated on the key cities. That is to say, the centers of the population of the province. So once his work was begun... He reached out into the surrounding countryside, usually by employing the native converts, training these men and ordaining them as what we would call today pastor teachers. Uh, He would select them based upon his knowledge of what God the Holy Spirit had done as far as calling is concerned. And he would train as best he could, he and Barnabas together, and would send them out. So Paul's methods of founding and establishing churches assumed a, what I'd call a fairly regular pattern. And we can look, and we uh, will look, at a summary as found in Acts chapter 14, 
beginning in verse 21, and we'll read through verse 23. It says, They, the antecedent of they, of course, would be Paul and Barnabas, preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, that city being Antioch, uh, Syria, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he makes a statement, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That was one of their messages. And he's talking now about the kingdom of God as you're working uh, in the area. And you're going to find a lot of uh, people who are going to not accept you. And that's the kingdom of God, he's saying. You're going to go through a lot of hardships. In fact, we're going to see Paul a little later in this doctrine where he was actually stoned to death and went to heaven and... It's a very interesting study, and I'm going to give you some points on that. Mainly a quote from H.A. Ironside and Colonel R.B. Theme with reference to uh, that unusual event. Uh, but let, that's to come later, just to whet your appetite. All right, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trusts. Excuse me. For example, the preaching of the gospel. They did a lot of evangelism. Strengthening and encouraging believers. In other words, edification. Building them up after they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then appointing pastor teachers in every church. That is to say, every church organization. Alright, now let's take a look at the first journey. As you can see, there's Antioch, Syria there on your map. And uh, there's a port city there named Seleucia. And uh, they're going to travel by boat up to a place called Italia, which according to history, uh, as the best we have it, was a terrible place to arrive because there was so much malaria there. And uh, that may or may not have been a reason why John Mark will will lead them from there. Then they went up to Perga. And then they went up to Antioch, what we'll call Antioch, Syria, since there were many Antiochs at that time in the Roman Empire because of Antiochus. And uh, naming cities after Antiochus. Alright, then they went to south, you might say, south to east to a city called Iconium which is a famous city, by the way, because it was supposedly so beautiful. And the reason it was so beautiful was because much of the statuary there was very beautiful. Uh, but we'll see more of that later on. Then they went down to Lystra and to Derby, And uh, we'll see more about that as Paul was stoned to death. And uh, is, he recovers. And uh, we'll see more about that later. Alright, like each of Paul's journeys, the point of departure was Antioch, Syria, a place which had assumed the role of the center of Gentile Christianity. Alright, sailing from the port of Seleucia, Paul and his companions landed on Cyprus. And you can see how they landed over there on the eastern shore of Cyprus. And... uh, that, by the way, is the home, uh, what would you say, province of uh, Barnabas. 
and uh, he will be instrumental of going there later on when he uh, uh, sells some property there. He was a pretty wealthy guy, apparently. Sells some property and came back and spread it around to the various people who were waiting for Jesus to come out, excuse me, to come back, uh, which was a misapplication of doctrine at that point. But nonetheless, we'll see more of that as we continue on. So it's on the eastern end of the island, and they crossed over the entire island. They landed at Salamis, and then they uh, it was there they preached in the synagogue of the Jews. So we see them uh, like a very critical part of their ministry. They just didn't understand they were the to take the gospel to the Gentiles instead of the Jews. And they would get rejected, and then they would say, okay, we're out of here. You don't want us here? We're not going to force ourselves on you. But more of that later. So, uh, indeed, this was their point of contact with Gentiles, some of whom were adherents. They had already adhered to Judaism. Others were merely curious onlookers. All right, the first meeting with Roman officialdom occurred in Paphos, that was on the other side of the island. In fact, that was the capital of that particular, and I'm calling it a province for lack, lack of a better term. You can see it's an island, but it also was a province. And there was a guy there who was in charge of everything. His name was Sergius Paulus. Now, despite the opposition from his Jewish magician, the proconsul believed the message of Paul. So let's read a little bit about that as he traveled across Cyprus and arrived at Paphos, which was, as noted earlier, the capital. So let me read you 13, 6, and we're going to leave out 7, but go to 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. It says, And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, or Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, would be son of Jesus or son of Jesus. But Elumus, the sorcerer, so his name is by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. He was under the control of Satan, of course, and probably a special demon that Satan had provided to make sure he, you know, wouldn't resists the two missionaries. Then Saul, who is called, of course, Paul later, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He was Paul was, of course, witnessing to the proconsul. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, a short time. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. 
So certainly a wonderful miracle on the part of on the part of Paul, who brought about a blindness to the uh, satanic uh, indwelt individual. All right, now putting out to sea, as they left there, they came to Perga by way of Italia, and that was in the province of Pamphylia. Up to this point, Barnabas had been the leader. Paul was the main speaker. Remember now, they got John Mark and Barnabas accompanying Paul. And John Mark is the same Mark that wrote the book of Mark. And his mama was a a big-time leader in the Christian church back at Jerusalem. In fact, when uh, uh, Peter uh, got out of prison, an angel led him out of prison, and uh, he finally noticed that the angel had left him. I'm sure it scared the daylights out of him. It wouldn't me, because the angel had gotten him out of prison, opened the doors, mesmerized the guards, and they were all standing there, you know, glassy-eyed, I'm sure. Glassy-eyed, and uh, uh, he following the angel along, and then all of a sudden he looked around and said, where'd the angel go? You know, and he rushed to the home of, again, uh, John Mark's mom's house. She was a leader in the church, and she was having a prayer meeting uh, there. And I've got some—I uh, got a chart that shows probably where they were. They had a nice, large, walled residence, and they had a—you know—a nice gate. And uh, Peter came to the gate and banged on the gate, and uh, they folks were having their prayer meeting in one of the houses. And I wish I'd brought my chart to show you, but. You've seen it before. Nearly everything I say is you've seen before or heard before. But uh, uh, he, uh, they sent uh, someone out to check. What's that noise we hear? And uh scow went out there and looked through. The, I'm, I'm assuming bars. I don't know that. It's, at least she could see it was, was Peter. So she, instead of opening the door and letting Peter in, who's scared, I mean, he's scared to death that the Romans are going to catch him and find him. He doesn't have the protection of the angel anymore. So uh, she runs, uh, was it Rhoda or Rona? Yeah, Rhoda. She runs and back to where the prayer meeting is and they said, well, who was it? And she said, it's Peter. What? Peter's in prison. And they've been praying for Peter to be released. Doesn't that sound like Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics, etc., etc., etc.? We pray and then we don't. We're really surprised when God answers prayer. I was thinking about that as I was thinking about all of our folks who are having all these kinds of problems around. uh, And uh, how important it is for us to pray. You know? How important it is, is it? And what would have happened if we hadn't have prayed? We've had people who've been in real trouble and they didn't go to the penitentiary. And if we hadn't have prayed, I bet they would have. But the point is, uh, and, and you know, we haven't changed people. They turn around, you know. Uh, so it's really important for us to pray. And that's why we have a prayer list over here. So be sure you use it. Anyway, back to our story, you know. Well, uh, <clears throat> they let him in, but... 
his mom was that lady that owned that villa, if you will, John Mark. And of course, John Mark's mentioned one of, the, one of the time in the New Testament. They think they being the authorities, if you will, who know a lot, you know. But it's been guessed that he was the one that lost his towel around him when Jesus was being taken up to the cross. But we don't know that. We do know he learned his doctrine from... He never traveled with Jesus, but he learned everything he wrote down in Mark from Peter in Rome. But that's another story, so let's uh, travel on, if you will. Travel on. All right, uh, so again, let me go back. Sailing from the port of Seleucia, Paul and his companions landed on Cyprus at the eastern end. Then they went on up, and you can see from the map uh, how they arrived finally at Iconium. And uh, up to this point, Barnabas had been the leader, Paul the main speaker, and John Mark, the cousin, by the way, of Barnabas. That's going to be important later. Who was the apostle's helper. But leaving Cyprus, Paul assumed the leadership. Now, whether this had anything to do with Mark's leaving, that is strictly an, an item uh, replete with controversy. Why did Mark leave? Mark is going to leave them. They get to Italia and probably even got up to Perga. And there are those who say, well, there were so many mosquitoes down there and such malaria, uh, he, he went back to Mama in Jerusalem. But there are also those who say the reason was, might have been that all of a sudden now Paul became the leader rather than Barnabas. And Barnabas, of course, was his uncle. So uh, who knows? So we'll just leave it alone because we don't know. If you don't know, you don't say. That's what you should do as a pastor. All right, Acts thirteen thirteen. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Papas, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So now you got two missionaries, and they're on the first missionary journey, which you saw a map up. Now, the timing seems hardly accidental. So, was he jealous, or was he offended, or was he just homesick, or was he uh, frightened with? the malaria uh, that he saw over and over again. So again, now when Paul and his company loose from Papos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. So they moved then northward. The pair entered, of course, uh, the province in, in uh, Antioch again, Antioch, Syria. So in Antioch, Paul preached in the synagogue discoursing on the history of Israel and the fulfillment of God's promises in the coming of the Savior, Jesus. So as was the custom at that time, he would have climbed the stairs to a desk which would be on top in the synagogue and he would open up the scroll. Then he would begin to preach from the scroll. Um, And uh, uh, who knows how that happened. I suspect... uh, they would see him in the back, and he was quite a renowned figure, Paul was, then named Saul. And the administrator of the synagogue would have seen him back there, back where Bruce is sitting, and say, uh, uh, would you care to say a few words for us, Mr. 
you know, big shot from Jerusalem, you know, and so forth. Or He wouldn't say that, of course. But uh, got to flavor it somehow to keep everybody awake. But the point being, he would uh, uh, go up there and he'd climb up the stairs and he'd open up. And then he'd begin to preach from the Old Testament in those scrolls up there at that desk. And uh, uh, some people would believe, some wouldn't believe. And we'll see more of that as we uh, move on. All right. Uh, uh, his closing emphasis was upon forgiveness of sins and justification through faith in Christ. No doubt about that. A note sounded again later on in the epistle to the Galatians. Because they are going to return back to Galatia after their first missionary journey ends. All right, let's look at Acts thirteen thirty-eight and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now let's uh, hit a little background here right quick. Uh, remember uh, Shaul, or Paul, as he later would be known, was quite a persecutor of Christians wherever he could find them. And you'll remember that from our previous studies. And he would uh, he would go and find people who had believed on Jesus and he would either beat them or he would put them in jail or he would kill them. And he had a document from the uh, Sanhedrin authorized and the procurator to do that. Uh, and, the, and it would be a procurator just permitting the Jews to meet and to have their own police force and their own preaching, etc. So many, many people recognized him and they had heard he had changed his mind. He was now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd gone up to Tarsus. He had preached in Tarsus and they'd probably heard of the success that he had there. Uh, but uh, he, of course, preached forgiveness of sins and justification through Jesus Christ. Uh, again, 38 and 39 again. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. In other words, reject the law of Moses, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Now, when the Jews opposed him, and that they did. Here's what they said. We are turning to the Gentiles. Acts 13.46, which we'll read. A usual procedure in Paul's ministry in various cities. And you can verify that by looking at Acts 18.6 and Acts 28.28 28 as uh, how he used that more than one time. Alright, I'm going to read you Acts 13.46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Now, why he believed that, I don't know. I know he believed that. He needed to take it to the Jew first. Even though he'd been called to be the disciple, the apostle to the Gentiles. But he had some really strong feelings about Jews. He loved his brethren. And... uh even though God said, Peter's going to be the apostle to the Jew, and you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now he says also in that verse, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, uh-huh, 
We now turn to the Gentiles. And he was driven out of Antioch, Pisidia, uh, which we also call Syria from time to time. They came next to Iconium, one of the most beautiful sites in the ancient world. And he repeated the familiar pattern going into the synagogue first and keep talking to the Jews. And since he was so renowned, uh, he would be recognized. The Apostle Paul's in the back. What? Apostle Paul's in the back. You know. And the administrator of the synagogue who would have climbed up the stairs and got up there where the desk is and they had the scroll open, he would have said, you know, would you like to say a few words to the congregation? He would say, of course. And so the little fellow, bald-headed, aquiline nose, uh, would come down, time up the stairs, get up there and preach, preach, preach. All right, Acts 14.1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a number of Jews and Gentiles believed. All right, I'm going to read now, continuing chapter 14. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Okay, now we've got a little, you know, we've gone from first gear to second gear, as we would say, and then down to third He's got this miracle thing that God has given him. I'll make them believe. You watch, you you know, you do some miracles in front of them. Then they're going to start believing. Miraculous signs and wonders. So the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, other with others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. And you can see that on your other map, but uh, we'll look more as we proceed here as we talk about the trip to Laconia. All right, now one new note. The Lord bore witness to His Word by granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. And we don't really know what those signs and wonders were, except they were miraculous and they were very impressive. Notice Galatians 3, 5, He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith. And of course that's where the statement is made to those in Galatia uh, that... You didn't get these gifts that God has given you to do miracles, talking to the Galatians, who also got this capability. You didn't get it when you were keeping the Mosaic Law. Uh, No, it was after you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's trying to impress upon them. That's when you got the gifts of miracles uh, and uh, wonders. All right, now notice... uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4. Remember Hebrews is a book which was written much, much later. Uh, and it was, uh, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I like to say it was Andy Anonymity who wrote it. Though the strongest evidence beyond that is maybe Paul. 
Uh, and of course, it was written in 68 AD, just before the destruction of Jerusalem. It was kind of like God's last attempt to, for the Jews to turn around, you know, and quit going into the synagogue. Go instead where the church is held, if you will. The Christian church. So notice God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Distributed according to His will. Alright, now the third city visited was Lystra. A city in which there was no synagogue. Probably a sign that few Jews resided there. Because I can't think of the number. It's one of those compartments in the back of my brain somewhere. But you had to have at least, I want to say, either 10 or 12 Jewish men before you could have a synagogue. Because when they cross over into Europe for the first time, that is to say Paul and his team, Paul at that time will be Paul and Silas, uh, they find a city, the first city they go to. There's no synagogue. And that's when they go down, that was at Philippi, when they go down to the water, because water is a ablution that is always used in Jewish procedures. And uh, they found nothing but ladies there. And that was the first church of any size whatsoever, any any uh, renown. And it was it was done. It was established by ladies because uh, there weren't any men there. But that's another story for another time on a second missionary journey. And we're still in the first very beginning of the first journey. So here we go. All right, but Lystra, it says the third, the third city visited was Lystra, a city in which there was no synagogue, probably a sign that few Jews resided there. Lystra was then a native settlement. People mainly were Lycaonians, uh, and they're from central Anatolia, that would be Turkey, right in the middle of Turkey. Uh, now the worship of Zeus and Hermes was popular there, and the, la- the la- uh, language was essentially Lycaonian rather than Greek. Acts 14, 11, and 12, and I'll read, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, and we don't know exactly what that was that he did, but he did some miraculous signs and wonders. The gods have come down to us in human form, they said. Barnabas they called old Zeus, and Paul they called old Hermes because, again, Paul was the chief speaker. All right, after Paul healed a man who was lame from his mother's womb, the people worshipped them. So we have a specific there uh, when he did a miraculous wonder. And so even after order had been restored, the peace was short-lived, if you will, for Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And here they came. You know, they came a-running. Where those guys go, we're going to find them no matter what. So they got a posse together and they all mounted up and they headed down the road. And they found them. And so what did they do? Well, they stoned Paul. And he went to the third heaven. And he was left for dead. You can read about that and we shall. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now then I'm going to go, as it says there, Ironsides, Doctrine of Paul's Visit to Heaven. I have a book of unedited class notes from uh, 
again, H.A. Ironsides, who taught at Dallas Theological Seminary. He also preached at Dwight L. Moody. He was a wonderful man. He only had one thing wrong with him, Judge. He smoked cigars. And uh, uh, he was famous for that because when uh, people would ask him about being a preacher and smoking cigars, he said he would always answer, well, Jesus had his figs, didn't he? And uh, uh, I have my cigars. But uh, Ironside was something else. The bald-headed man had little glasses and boy, could he preach, so they say. Alright, so here's what he has written in his unedited class notes. So this event in Paul's life will record a strange event. Paul visited heaven where he was sworn to secrecy. The event and the reason for Paul's recounting can be found in the book of Acts compared with Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Acts 14, 9, 20, and 21 then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 12.1, of course, a, a, a passage which needs to be studied in conjunction with uh, this first missionary journey and this problem that occurred. Alright, I must, he says, I must go on, if I must go on boasting. Actually, it's better to have an if there, by the way. A third class conditional. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Now this context is the Corinthians were saying we've had people come here who have a lot better testimonies than you've ever had. And uh, we've had people that came here and name was X and another one's name Y and another one's name Z. They gave these amazing testimonies and the hair on the back of our neck stood still and they were wonderful men of God who also did miracles themselves. Paul answers them. He said, If I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted but what I do or say. Now let's see what H.A. Ironsides and Colonel R.B. Theme have to say about this most unusual event. And it's going to be a composite of what the two say. And it's from the unedited lecture notes on the book of Acts by H.A. Ironsides. 
And quoting now, and they dragged that seemingly lifeless body outside the city and threw it on the refuse heap. Let the jackals devour it. They were done with Paul, but God was not done with him. I like to think this is the very time Paul had the experience of which he speaks in the second epistle to the Corinthians. That is to say, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. Quote, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up in the heaven, caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I believe that at the very moment they thrust Paul's body away, the real Paul, the man who lived inside of that body, was in the third heaven. God said, as it were, I want to show you what I have done in have in store for you. Up there, Paul did not know whether he was in the body or not. If in his body, he did not know it. If out of his body, he did not miss it. He was in paradise and heard unspeakable things which it is not not lawful for a man to utter. All right, how long he was there, we do not know. We do read that as the body lay there, the disciples stood around about, evidently making plans for a funeral, probably with tears streaming down, saying, What shall we do? We shall have to lay this poor broken body away. But he suddenly rose up. I should like to have seen that. It is such a graphic picture. Here gathered about the body of Paul were Barnabas and the other believers, saying, Doubtless... Is it not a pity that he had to die right in the midst of his wonderful ministry? If only he could have lived longer. Then suddenly, I think, Paul opened his eyes, rose to his feet, brushed off his clothes and said, It is all right, you dear brothers. Your brothers will have to put off the funeral a little longer. He was ready to start again. Persecution thwarted him none. He must continue preaching the gospel of the grace of God. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Paul died from the traumatic event of stoning, only to be awakened. He then records for his disciples, for the many, a record of going to heaven and meeting a fellow believer who earlier had died having taken up residency in the third heaven. It would seem the man died 14 years earlier. That is the guy he met. Interestingly, Paul could not tell if the real but invisible Paul was on earth or in heaven. It would seem his trip from earth to heaven was like stepping across some invisible line. Whatever the case, Paul gives us little information. Perhaps this was Orders from heaven not to tell. All right, there may have been much more, and I'll end quote there. There may have been much more said between Paul and his former friend. What else went on there, we do not know. Miraculously, he was resuscitated, and the next day he and Barnabas set out on the 60-mile journey to Derby, which is located just southeast of Lystra, 
And of course, you can see again another map. This one out of my Bible program, which is why it's a little different from the one I showed you earlier. But you can see uh, he's going. They're going to make their way back. So they make their way back where to Antioch. So they arrive in Antioch. All right. Now then, the second journey. All right, and we're on page nine, and I'm going to stop there. Uh, the second missionary journey will be interesting because it all starts with a big time argument and a fight between the two brethren. Phys- not physical fight, but quite a you might say an imbroglio, if you will, a great contretemps, and that will be between Barnabas and and uh, Paul. And it's all going to be because of John Mark, because uh, Barnabas wants to take his nephew on the second missionary journey, and Paul says, I ain't taking him. Uh-uh, that dirty little coward. You remember he left us there at Italia? Want to go back to Mama? Well, he's a Mama boy, so we'll just let him go back to Mama. And Barnabas says, but he's my nephew, you know, he's my nephew. But anyway, that's just a preview of what's coming up on the second missionary journey. But uh, uh, we'll we'll do that. The Lord willing and it doesn't freeze and your power go off and your water go off and your next door neighbor's house burns down uh, and uh, you can't get any uh, uh, fuel for what your whatever be on the... Electricity or gas. Okay, let's uh, have our invitation now to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. So if you are without hope, without Christ, and without eternal life, it's time for you to remedy that situation. Because you are indeed a sinner. We're all sinners. But we're... Some of us are sinners saved by grace. Others are just sinners or sinning. Oh my goodness. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came unto His own Israel, but His own received Him not. But as many as did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can stop doing that and simply tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word you will be saved. It's called faith alone in Christ alone. Just like the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was given. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Alright, and now for our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and worship. Uh, Now, I wish that... In fact, I'm calling upon God the Holy Spirit to make that which I have presented real in order that we might grow in Your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.